1: Here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, it has been a while since we have recorded in our proper recording format with you in England and me here in America. It's been a while. Yeah,
0: it has been uh, a few days, weeks, months.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a few months. We, um, I know we've aired some episodes since we came back from our hi- hiatus, but those were mostly recorded before we took a break. So this is really, it's been a, a good couple of months since you and I have uh, sat on either ends of the computers and done a proper after the ending episode. So it feels good to be back in the, uh, the driver's seat here. It does. It feels good to be back. And it's been nice, actually, while well
0: setting up, not to have to curse at Skype updating once again.
1: <laughs> but, uh, i don't know i don't know what you mean skype is perfect and never causes us difficulties that's
0: very true i was just you know playing devil's advocate
1: oh okay okay that's nice yeah that's this nice
0: episode is not sponsored by skype
1: <laughs> it probably never will be yeah. not a sponsor <laughs> right not a sponsor all right uh well let's jump into things then we kept people waiting for a while so let's get get right into things phil tell people what we have in store for them in this week's episode
0: yeah, we're going to be going after the ending of Starman and Mrs. Doubtfire, and we'll also be talking about our top five favorite
1: performances by Michael Keaton. Yeah, this is a good. This is a good one. This is a Starman's a film I've been wanting to do for a long time, actually. Oh, it's such a good film. I do like it. It really is. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, I love this movie. So um, we'll talk more about that. But let's go ahead and have you give the synopsis. Tell people what happened in Starman.
0: Okay. Well, uh, it's Starman, 1984 film directed by John Carpenter, who's done a few other films, which you know. Are pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen one or two of them.
0: Yeah, but if uh, we follow uh, an alien who's played by Jeff Bridges, uh, and the alien's heading to Earth after seeing, after coming across the gold record that was on the Voyager 2 probe, uh, the spaceship that he comes in is shot down and crashes in Wisconsin. The alien, which at this point was just like a ball of energy, ends up taking the form of Jenny Hayden's, uh, played by Karen Allen, uh, takes the form of her recently deceased husband. Obviously, this freaks out uh, Jenny, But uh, the Starman, played by Jeff Bridges, takes Jenny uh, on a journey across America. And on the journey, he uses these small silver spheres he has, which do various things, such as send messages to uh, his colleagues in space, create a holographic map, brings a a dead deer back to life and other things. It's basically a road trip kind of thing across America. And during the journey, uh, Jenny and the Starman grow closer and closer, Uh, They end up having sex and the alien tells Jenny that she is pregnant and that the son will be combined of both her dead husband and Starman and possessing Starman's knowledge and will grow up to be a teacher. Uh, The governments are in hot pursuit, uh, but they are aided by SETI scientist Mark Sherman and they end up making it to Starman's pickup point. Uh, Starman is almost dead at this point, but uh, when the spaceship appears, it regenerates him and he gives Jenny the last sphere and says that their son will know what to do with it. And then Jenny watches as he leaves in a spaceship, flies away. And
1: that's Starman. It is indeed very nicely done. I will Can add one little we? piece of information to that, and that is okay, simply yeah. that uh, Jenny's um, dead husband's name was Scott. And oh, that yeah, is only yeah. because I refer to him as that in my ending. I refer to the Starman as Scott just because it was easier. So okay. just for yeah. listeners, ease of listening, Scott equals alien equals Starman equals mc squared <laughs>
0: exactly and that's how einstein came up with the theory of relativity after he <laughs> watched this film
1: pretty sure that's correct yeah <laughs> uh so so we've already kind of you know briefly mentioned that we we both like this film uh but but phil are you uh is it are you a big fan of the film you like it a little bit how do you oh feel I'm,
0: I'm a big fan of the film i mean as as people probably know I, I really do like john carpenter's films but this one was a bit of a change of gear uh after the likes of, uh, the thing and Assault on Precinct Thirteen and the others because it's it's this one's basically and it's very most basic levels. It's a love story. Uh, it's a love story road trip movie, but it's uh it's it's beautifully shot. Uh, lots of it on most of it's on location as well at the various places around America, uh, and it's great performances from Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen, uh, and it's just I I just really like it. It's, it's a great it's a great take on the whole you know alien landing on the planet. Uh, it's it's I suppose it's an E.T. story, isn't it? That so the alien just wants to get home. But uh, it's it's a beautiful film. Uh, it's got a great soundtrack. Actually, one it's one of the few films I think which John Carpenter didn't do the soundtrack for. Right. Or didn't do all of it anyway. He might have done a few bits and pieces. But it's just uh, yeah, I, I love the performances, love the look of it, and it's just it's it always almost moves you t- to tears as well at certain points in the film. But it's uh, sure yeah. yeah. What,
1: what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I love this film, too, actually. Uh, Everything you said about it is true. I do like also that it has a lot of of humor in it. You know, it's a very different kind of John Carpenter film. It's a much softer John Carpenter film. It really was him, I think. Uh, stretching his wings. And I actually wish he had done more branching out, much as I love his, like, action, you know, horror, sci-fi stuff. I just think yeah, yeah. this this movie does show what a what a great director he could be in a more mainstream setting, you know. And I, I yeah. wish he had done more of that. Maybe it would have led to him having some, some bigger success than he did later in his career. But, um, yeah, I, I do. I love the movie. In fact, I even um, was a big fan of the TV show. They made a, a, a TV adaptation of it.
0: Oh, that's right. I never got to see that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? A continuing series. Yeah. I had Robert Hayes from Airplane in it, and yeah. uh, and C B Barnes, who went on to do a lot of voice acting and stuff. And it was really good. It was kind of a, it was kind of a similar thing. It was like you know the Starman and his son, you know, and they were uh, like kind of on the run, you know, with the government agent chasing them week after week. A very incredible Hulk-like, you know, yeah, a little yeah. more modern. But um, so yeah, this is a, a movie and a, even a franchise, if you will, that I'm a I'm a big fan of. Good stuff. Well, do you want to give us uh, your day after them? Sure thing. Here we go. So several months later, Jenny gives birth to a baby boy. She names him Jeff, and he looks and acts just like any other boy. By this time, Jenny is living under an assumed name in a cabin in the Rocky Mountains because she knows the government would never let her be otherwise. It's remote, but there's a town just 15 minutes away, ensuring that life isn't too difficult for the new mom. While Jeff's physical growth is normal for a human baby, his mental acuity is off the charts. By the time Jeff turns 10, he's reading and writing at a college level. However, Jenny always has him keep his intellect a secret, not letting him skip grades or appear as some kind of prodigy. On Jeff's 18th birthday, Jenny comes home from work to find Jeff standing in the middle of the living room, holding the silver sphere Scott left him and glowing bright white from head to toe. He turns to Jenny and says, I know what to do now, Mom. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Boom, end of the world. <laughs> no. Well, Maybe. No, no. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, let's hear how your day after goes. Okay, well, through the confusion of the
0: spaceship appearing and with the aid of Mark Sherman, Jenny manages to escape from the authorities. She's also, unknown to her, she's also aided by Starman, who uses the tech upon his spaceship to cover things up, change computers uh, in the government agencies and things, so her involvement is just basically disappears. Uh, Sherman helps her get back home, and Jenny promises to keep in contact with him. Once she is alone, Jenny starts writing down what happened with her and her recent encounter with Starman. She still finds it mind-blowing what she went through. But the next morning, when she wakes up, she's shocked to see that her so- stomach is slightly distended. It seems her pregnancy may be moving faster than she thought. Mm. And that's my day after.
1: Yeah, I mean, alien babies will do that to you, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, We've, when all I had mine. We've all been there, yeah. yeah. Right, right exactly. A tale <laughs> as old as time. That's right. And if you're lucky, your baby won't have a tail as old as time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Try the fish. <laughs> Very cool. I like it. Good. Uh, well, what's going on then with your immediate aftermath then with the glowing uh, Jeff? Okay. Well, the world was not prepared for the white event. At exactly 8.24 a.m. on January 1st, 2003, the entire world was blinded by an ethereal white light that nothing could block. Every single person in the world saw the light, even with their eyes closed or covered. Even blind people saw everything go white for exactly one minute. When it was over, the world returned to normal. Jenny questioned Jeff about it, but he just said that time would reveal all. In the coming years, the world began to change. All of the evil people in the world began to die of natural causes. Dictators, murderers, despots, human traffickers, anyone who looked into the white light and had true evil in their souls began to die off. Within a decade, the world had been transformed. Crime was non-existent, and with a new focus for people's energies, breakthroughs had been discovered in curing almost all major diseases. Jenny continually looked at her son and told her how proud she was of him, but it wasn't long before she knew Jeff had to leave. I have to go into the stars, Mom. I have to find him. Jenny knew Jeff needed to learn about his heritage, so with tears in her eyes, she watched as a man she loved more than anything flew off into the stars for the second time in her life. And that's my immediate aftermath. Mm, Very good. I like that, the white event. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. something kind of
0: neat. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right. Great, well, let's hear yours then. Okay. A few short months later, the child is born. The birthday was actually nine months from near the death of Jenny's husband. Mm. Jenny realized that Starman had worked everything out to ensure that she could explain her pregnancy, if people asked. Jack Hayden was a beautiful baby boy, and according to the doctors, was healthy, normal, and very human. When she returned home with Jack, Jenny felt complete and full of joy. She placed the silver sphere in Jack's hand for a moment as she had a strange compulsion to do so. There was no physical reaction, but she knew a connection had been made. And that's my immediate aftermath.
1: Oh, I like that. I Also, I like the uh, that detail about him, you know, I- ensuring that the baby would be normal by having it be nine months after, you know, her husband passed. That was That's a nice little touch.
0: Yeah, well, it's just because it, you knew that he could actually, he could, he could tell exactly what was going to be, or, you know, he tells... Jenny, what the baby's going to be like? So I just thought, well, he'd make sure that you know she wasn't going to be put through any tests and stuff like that. Right,
1: right, right. but, to all that. but yeah,
0: thank you yeah, very like much.
1: It. Very good. And um, what's going on then with your long term now that uh, Jeff's flown into the stars? All right. Well, Jenny sat on her porch, rocking in her favorite chair. It had been twenty years since she'd seen Jeff, and she was nearing the end of her life. And while she was sad and occasionally lonely, she felt she had lived a good life. She closed her eyes and drifted off to sleep, only to be woken a few minutes later by a blinding light. A spaceship was landing in her yard. Jenny couldn't believe it, but when the entry ramp came down, she was overjoyed to see Jeff. Behind him, even more surprising, was Scott. Jenny ran to them as fast as she could, tears streaming from her eyes. She embraced Jeff in a hug, then reached out to wrap her arms around Scott. Before she knew what was happening, she was enveloped by a warm glow. In moments, she looked down and realized her hands were the hands of a 25-year-old woman again. She realized that she felt better than she had in years and was astounded to discover that her whole body had been de-aged to that of a young woman. She looked at Scott and Jeff, and the tears returned as Scott said, it's time for us to be a family. And that's the end. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Good. I like Thanks. It. You know me. I'm a sucker for a happy ending, you know, world yeah, peace yeah. and a family reuniting. Come on. It's right up my alley. That's that's very true. That's no, good. If, like we're, if we're coming back after a break, I'm coming back in pure Mike style, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm expecting a serial killer in yours any moment now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, well, let's hear it then. How's your long-term wrap-up? Jack Hayden had grown up to be the biggest serial killer the world had ever (laughs) known, And he had alien powers, so he's basically unstoppable, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just... I like it. What a twist, Phil. What a twist. Um, Didn't see that coming. As he killed the last human, he laughed (laughs) and flew into space, the end. no, no. no.
1: Uh, That'd be so awesome, though.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I thought I'd take the essence of Starman and just totally ignore it.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Continue.
0: <laughs> okay, my uh, long term. On his 18th birthday, Jack Hayden returned home. His mum had made him a lovely birthday cake and her friend Mark had travelled over to wish him happy birthday. Jack was well-liked and excelled in both his academic and physical pursuits. From an early age, he was aware of his parentage. Both his mother and the silver sphere had informed him of that. During the birthday meal, they laughed at the many happy memories they'd had over the years, in particular one time when a priest had approached Jenny when Jack was two years old to say that Jack was the Antichrist. <laughs> that always made them laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to do now, asked Mark? Your mother says you're not going to university just yet. Jack explained that he was planning on travelling around the world to connect with everyone. So he did. Five years he travelled and visited many countries, cities and communities. Wherever he went, Jack spoke of peace and understanding and how to live in harmony with nature. And people listened. The message spread and things slowly changed for the better. When Jack returned home on one of his from one of his jaunts, Jenny sat down with him and listened to tales of his journey. How much is left, asked Jenny. Jack took a box from his pocket and passed it to Jenny. Opening it, she saw the sphere within. It was now just a fifth of its size. Should be enough to help spread my message for a few more years and enough to calm things so people will unite and head towards the stars. And that's
1: my long term. I like it. I like Thank it. very much. Look at us. We're just a couple of hippies out here, aren't we? Just spreading peace. I and know, love. yeah. It's, I
0: mean, it's similar to yours, but it's uh, yeah, but just a little bit different, but yeah. To <laughs> no,
1: no, very, very different. I like it. And he was a teacher like like he was prophesied in the actual movie. I went a slightly different way. But, you know, at the end of it, we're both about spreading the peace and the love, man. Yeah.
0: Although maybe, you know, what he was trying to teach them was, you know, to become docile while the aliens invade. And <laughs> for, but no, no, he was doing that too, yeah, for the betterment of mankind.
1: <laughs> All right. I like it. All right. Well, Phil, do you have any Starman trivia for us?
0: I certainly do. Uh, it was the only John Carpenter film to have an Academy Award nomination and the uh, it was for Jeff Bridges as Best Actor, but he lost out to F. Murray Abrams in Amadeus. Okay. Uh, John Carpenter wanted to use America as it's, as the very own backlot, so he shot on location from Los Angeles, uh, then through the country all the way to Washington, D.C. That's why it always looked so lovely. Cool. Uh, Kevin Bacon and Tom Cruise were both considered to play Starman at one point. And during its development, uh, the film had six directors, and in order, it went th- it went from the hands of Mark Rydell to Adrian Lynn. To John Badham, to Tony Scott, to Peter Hyams, and eventually John Carpenter—wow—who finally finally delivered the film? Yeah,
1: yeah, That would have been very different with a lot of those other directors, I think. Too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, all—I mean, all would have probably been worth a watch, but yeah, very different. Yeah, for sure. But that's uh, Starman.
1: Very good. All right. Well, then let's move on to our next film, and it is Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Do you want to give us a rundown, Davey, of what's uh, what it's all about? <laughs> sure thing. All right, so 1993, starring Robin Williams and Sally Field, directed by Chris Columbus. Daniel Hillard, played by Robin Williams, is a freelance voice actor going through a divorce from his wife, Miranda, played by Sally Field, who gets full custody of the kids because he's unreliable. Daniel works to rebuild his life, but missing his kids, uh, he finds out that Miranda is looking for a housekeeper, so he dresses up as an older British lady named Mrs. Doubtfire with the help of prosthetic makeup by his brother, Frank. He gets hired and works as the housekeeper, and he helps the kids and Miranda grow closer. When the kids discover his secret, they're excited to spend time with their dad, so they keep his secret. Daniel books a job hosting a children's show of his own creation, but due to a scheduling conflict, he ends up trying to be himself and Mrs. Doubtfire at the same time between two events, which ends disastrously with Miranda discovering his identity. During a custody hearing, a judge awards Miranda full custody, but without Mrs. Doubtfire, she and the kids are depressed. When Daniel's new show, starring Mrs. Doubtfire, begins to air on TV and becomes a hit, Miranda visits him and agrees to split custody of the kids, and Daniel and the kids are reunited. And that is Mrs. Doubtfire. Very good. Summed it up nicely. Thank you. Thank you. So, Phil, how do you feel about this film? Obviously, we I think we can agree that Robin Williams is always terrific, but how do you feel about this movie specifically?
0: Yeah, I always uh, I always enjoy the film. It's not one of my favorites of uh, Robin Williams, but it's always <clears throat> it's always enjoyable. He does a great job in the role. You can tell there was lots of improv, improv all the way through it, but it's it's what you expect in Robin Williams comedy. Uh, but it's it works well. It's it's uh, it's a little bit sappy in a few places, but that's it's the kind of film it is. But I I do enjoy it. it's a great performance. It's a good concept, uh, and it works well. It's just. Uh, it's just nowadays. Watching anything with Robin Williams always makes me a bit sad.
1: Of course, of course, yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, what, how do you feel about the film?
1: You know, I'll be honest with you. I only saw the movie once. I saw it in theaters when it came out, which was obviously a long time ago. I did not care for it then. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a few laughs, but overall, I thought it was kind of silly. And I, I generally don't, I don't like movies that are predicated on misunderstandings and. And this isn't quite that, but there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, if you just tell the truth or just say one thing, you could fix this situation. But they never do that because then the movie would be over. Yeah, and it's like so many types... TV shows
0: these days as well do right, that.
1: Right, exactly. And, and those have always not sat that well with me. That being said, I do love Robin Williams. I do think maybe, you know, I, I should revisit the film. It's been, you know, over 20 years since I've seen it. So mm-hmm. maybe I should revisit. Maybe I'll have a different opinion of it now. But uh, as it stands currently, not one of my favorites. I don't hate it or anything. It's a perfectly fine film. I just thought it was okay yeah yeah that's fair enough all right well let's get into our endings then you want to start things off with your day after
0: yeah okay so daniel hillard's mrs doubtfire show is a huge success Uh, both kids and adults enjoy it and it draws comparisons to mr rogers neighborhood Uh, daniel appears on various talk shows sometimes as himself and sometimes as mrs doubtfire but he always makes it back to pick up the kids his relationship with them is better than ever but he does feel a bit worn out from all the work At the most recent recording, everything was going well until Daniel heard someone shouting from the back of the set. Not sure what was going on, he turned and was dumbfounded to see Mrs. Doubtfire walking towards him. Daniel quickly looked down to check he was still in costume. He was. The other Mrs. Doubtfire came, storming up to him and shouted, I'm the real Doubtfire! Daniel fainted.
1: Wow. And that's my day after. That took a little bit of a mip or kind of a sci-fi twist that I was not expecting. Mm, well, I wait and see what yes, uh... Or some kind of twist. It's just a twist I wasn't expecting, let's say. Yeah, That, yeah. Was, that yeah. was cool. All right. I like it. Thank you very much. Uh, but what's going on with your day after? All right. Well, Daniel's Mrs. Doubtfire show starts to become more and more successful. Meanwhile, his relationship with the kids and Miranda remains strong. He and Miranda talk about getting back together, but they realize they are both happier with the situation the way it is and that they make better friends than spouses. After two seasons of the show, the network approaches him and tells him they want to make a movie about his character. Overjoyed, Daniel agrees, and he works with the screenwriter to craft the story. They decide to base the film on Daniel's own experiences, and before long, the story of Mrs. Doubtfire begins to take shape. And that is my day after for now. Excellent. Like it. Thank you. All right. But I'm curious to hear about this other Mrs. Doubtfire, so tell us more, Phil. Give us your immediate aftermath.
0: The operation had gone well they had removed a brain tumour from Daniel that had been causing his hallucinations of Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, my. However, however, he had not yet regained consciousness. In Daniel's mind, he was in a fantasy world full of odd characters, an older Peter Pan, (laughs) a naive alien (laughs) learning about Earth, a powerful genie, a wild (laughs) jungle man, and a strange green bouncing rubber thing, and many, many more. (laughs) It was so incredibly hard to deal with, though, and Daniel felt totally lost. But then he felt someone take his hand and the warm, familiar voice of Mrs. Doubtfire said, It's all okay. Let's get you back home, dearie. Daniel opened his
1: eyes. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, I like it. I like that, you know, we've been off for, for several months, but <laughs> you managed in our first episode back to work in a, a a Flubber cameo. That makes me just very happy. Well, you've got to get Flubber in one of Right, you know. So, yeah, And for yeah. those of you who don't know the Flubber reference, clearly you have not listened to enough episodes. So go back and listen to more yeah. episodes. It's, uh, and for all you
0: long-term fun. listeners out there who got a little thing, uh, buzz out of that one, you're welcome. Yes, that's
1: right. <laughs> uh, very good. I like it. Very interesting. <laughs> Okay, what's going
0: on then with uh, your long term on the Mrs. Doubtfire movie?
1: Well, Mrs. Doubtfire, the movie, is a huge hit. Made for just $25 million, the film grosses over $400 million at the box office. The film tells the story of a dad getting divorced who dresses up as a housekeeper to be closer to his children, and audiences love it. His kids are thrilled to be portrayed by actors on the big screen, and the extra money Daniel makes by co-writing and starring in the film allows the whole family to live much more comfortably. It isn't long before a sequel is greenlighted, and in short order, Mrs. Doubtfire 2, Fired Up, is produced. <laughs> that film is a huge hit, too, and before long, Daniel's approached by a couple of Broadway producers who want to make a musical stage show out of the story. Within a year, Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical, is the toast of Broadway. Daniel's head is spinning with all of the success. When Mrs. Doubtfire on Ice becomes a hugely successful touring show, the entire (laughs) family decides to go on vacation to celebrate. And that's my immediate aftermath.
0: Oh, I like that. It's good. Thanks.
1: I just love the idea of Mrs. Doubtfire on Ice, and I really wish somebody would make that happen, because that I'd go see.
0: (laughs) That would be good, actually.
1: (laughs) You know, it sounds like a Disney thing, right? Disney could buy up Mrs. Doubtfire and do Mrs. Doubtfire on Ice. So. Anyway, I'm, I'm just saying, when that show comes around, I will go see it. I will buy that ticket. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Thanks. All right, so uh, tell us about your, uh, your long term. I want to hear what's happening with this, uh, this oh, story, which okay. I found both humorous and touching. And I, 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 so I applaud you for that.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, so my long term. It took Daniel a while to fully recover, but eventually he did. However, he realized he was pouring too much of himself into his work. So instead, he decided to work on an animated version of Mrs. Doubtfire, and he still did the voice, but it gave him more time. Uh, It wasn't quite as he he wasn't he he still did Mrs. Doubtfire in costume, but not as often, and it just gave him more a chance to step back and take more time and look after himself. There's a lot more self-care when it came to his health, but his creativity didn't stop, and he created and developed more characters based on the ones that he had seen during his coma. This balance worked better for his health and gave the added benefit of him being there more for his kids. And as he worked on the characters, each one was a success, but other people were involved in the those characters and producing the films and the TV shows and all the various things. But the Hillard universe of characters became a, became bigger and bigger, earning him billions and giving him a long, happy life with his family. And that's my long term.
1: Ah. I like that. I like the Hillard universe where it takes all these characters yeah. that you mentioned, you know, who are all completely original, obviously. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, and yeah. makes them into like a universe of characters. That's that's fun. Very nice.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much. I like to envision and become like the next uh, Disney or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I can see it. Totally.
0: So uh, what's going on with your long term?
1: All right. Well, based on the family's celebratory vacation, Mrs. Doubtfire on Safari becomes the third film, the <laughs> Doubtfire Trilogy, and it's an oh. even bigger hit than the previous film.
0: Oh, it's, it's, like a, it's like a film series from like the 40s. Or something. Right,
1: right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, and then a fourth film called Mork and Mrs. Doubtfire about <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire meeting an alien continues the success, showing no signs of slowing down at the box office. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Mrs. Doubtfire comic book has taken the publishing world by storm, and the Mrs. Doubtfire animated series becomes a Saturday morning favorite for a whole generation of children. Her catchphrase of, It was a run-by fruiting! Becomes as popular as Who You Gonna Call or May the Force Be With You. By this time, Daniel's kids are grown, Miranda has remarried, and Daniel has found his own new romance when he marries a childhood sweetheart named Pam that he's reconnected with. Life is good for Daniel and his family, and Daniel never gets tired of seeing kids dressed up like Mrs. Doubtfire showing up on his door every Halloween. And that's the end.
0: Oh, I like That's very good. Is this uh, old... As old flame as Pam, as in, you know, was it Pam from Mork and Mindy, the
1: actor? Yeah, it was a little a little, uh, uh, a little, homage to Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy. Very yes. nice, very
0: nice. I'm glad I picked up on it. Yeah,
1: thanks. I am glad you did too. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I like it. Thank you very much. All right, so that's Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Phil, I believe it's time for a visit from Mrs. Triviafire.
0: Oh, Mike, yes it is.
1: He's <laughs> don't read all the trivia in that voice. Oh, Mike. Oh. oh, and I've had a bit of a cold. My throat
0: is not up for doing that voice. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that, that's, thank you. That's disturbing. Mm,
0: but this one is good still.
1: <laughs> okay, on that note, how about that trivia?
0: Oh, yeah, trivia. Here we go. So Robin Williams, Robin Williams's own son, did not recognize him while he was in the costume of Mrs. Doubtfire uh, until he started speaking. Uh, according to director Chris Columbus, Robin Williams improvised so much that they, if they wanted to, they could have done a PG-13 cut, an R cut, and an NC-17 edit of the film. Wow! Okay. So it's, uh, just any—they could have basically done whatever film they wanted, right? Based on the amount of stuff he did. Uh, the Mrs. Doubtfire costume and makeup took about four and a half hours each day to put on. Oof. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire says the word "dear" 101 times. <laughs> and Bryan Cranston, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, and Tom Hanks were all considered to play the role at one point.
1: Interesting because
0: I mean, it would have all been very, very different with each and every one of them. Yes, especially I I, I want to see Harrison Ford.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, interesting that Brian Cranston was in the mix there since he wasn't really famous at that point, like all the rest yeah. of the, those yeah, guys you mentioned were.
0: I, I think he, he would have done a great job, though.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I just think it's been. interesting,
0: mm, definitely. But uh, that's uh, so that's uh, Mrs. Dove
1: very good. All right, well, there you go. That is Starman and Mrs. Doubtfire, and now it is time for our 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take our favorite actors and actresses, and we share our top five favorite roles, favorite performances by each of them. And this week, we are talking about none other than the great Michael Keaton. Phil, are you a Michael Keaton fan?
0: Michael Keaton? I thought you meant Michael Douglas. We already did him. Uh... So that joke That's, that, that's work. a little pun for people who know what Michael Keaton's real name is.
1: Yes, <laughs> that it is. It is true that that's an interesting trivia. Do you want to share?
0: Yes, Michael Keaton's original name was Michael Douglas, but when he obviously became an actor, there was another actor called Michael Douglas, I believe. I yeah. can't recall what any film he ever did.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he was already fairly successful at that point too. It wasn't even yes, like yeah, yeah. just like some. You know, some other no-name actor named Michael Douglas, where he could have just gone with like a you know a middle initial or something. And Michael Douglas is already an established actor at that. Oh, point. Oh yeah, well so. established. But yeah, so he p- he chose the name uh, Michael Keaton. Yep.
0: As you do. Does it so, let me just see? if There's anything a reason with Do you know? Michael? Yeah, I know
1: why. It's because he picked. He named him uh, after Buster Keaton. That's right.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, and he got that from Buster Keaton. Thank yep. you, Mike, for reminding me of that. And it did because uh, Michael Keaton's early career was very much comedy based, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So there you go. So a little trivia. We don't usually do trivia for our. Our, uh, our, you know, hundred stars, but in this case, we did.
0: Yeah, there you go. And once again, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> so, meanwhile, getting back to my original question, how do you feel about Michael Keaton? Who? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, no, I, I, really like him.
0: I've always liked him from, uh, from the early days. From, well, pretty much anything he's in. I mean, it's been, he's been in a few clunkers of a film, but uh, I, I've always really enjoyed his performance in it because he brings, he brings an intensity. There's always like a, it's like you never quite know what he's gonna do.
1: Right, right.
0: Even even when a f- the film he's playing is like quite buttoned up or like a, kind of a normal character, as it, as it were, there's always this kind of uh, there's this there's like an energy I always like with him. Even when like with this more laid back kind of thing, but it's just this and a, a wild intensity. But not one of those, you know, some some actors have that intensity where you're going, oh, it's a bit oh, it's a bit too much, and you just can't be bothered with it. Right. But this one, is always, it's like a it's like a joyful kind of intensity that's probably the best way of doing it but i i I
1: really like it good uh, yeah 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 what about you Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan, actually. And I think, um, you know, I've always liked him. I liked him early in the beginning in the 80s and in the 90s when he was in his kind of career heyday. Uh, And then he sort of, you know, faded into the background for a a decade or so. But I think that the work he's been doing over the past six, seven, eight years uh, has been some of the finest acting, uh, I mean, that's around. I, I think it's, he's just entered a second phase of his career where he is absolutely phenomenal. And actually, I think you'll probably see that reflected on my list and what's interesting is if I flipped just my number two and my number three and they're only separated by year but if I flipped them my list would actually go from five to one in chronological order oh okay yeah yeah which is interesting because I think it kind of shows his progression as an actor and just that I think he's always been good in his early career he was great but in, the, in more recent years I think he's just operating at, at a whole other level I think he's really beyond uh, what most people are doing and actually I find it somewhat criminal that he has been he was passed over for two Oscars in the past like five years that yeah, I think yeah. went to other people who were, were uh, very talented and good performances but not as deserving as as he was necessarily yeah. so but yeah. Uh, yeah I'm a huge fan I love everything he's doing now and even when he takes on supporting roles now um, he's he's the best thing about any movie he's in so oh, yeah oh definitely
0: yeah, but it's, it's the same with my list. Most of mine are from recent years. There's more recent performances. Right,
1: right. Hey, well, do you, do you want to kick things off? Sure thing. All right, my number five is from 1989, and it is Batman, and he plays Batman. Um, and I picked this one for a reason. It's not because it's, I think, you know, the the most Oscar-worthy performance on the planet necessarily, but up until this point, he had been known primarily as a comedic actor. And you yeah, know, yeah. even ignoring all of the 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 fan backlash. You know, we know people, you know, weren't excited for the idea of this comedic actor, you know, Mr. Mom playing Batman. Um, but just the idea that, you know, he was brave enough to take on the role. And then he he did a great job with it. He really, he made you believe that he could be Batman and, and be an effective Batman. He was terrific as Bruce Wayne. Um, I don't think he ever got quite enough credit for pulling off a role That, you know, at the time, the only screen version of Batman people were familiar with was either the 60s Adam West, which was super cheesy, or the Super Friends cartoons, which were, you know, not uncheesy. So for him to come into this Tim Burton directed dark role and play it seriously, but bring that kind of Michael Keaton esque you know nist to it um yeah i think it's a great performance and i think he really he really nailed it i think it's a um it was a real turnaround for him so it's uh it's a great performance but i think also an important one for him
0: no, that's a good point and uh luckily we uh we, we all society as a whole has grown since then and so whenever there's like a new batman announced or a new joker you know everybody's just totally accepting and going <laughs> right. oh well yeah yes. that's that's good that could work i, right. you know, I can't Nobody... see myself but it's probably
1: going to work Nobody ever gets upset about anybody cast as a superhero. Right? Oh no, Which it's just nice to see. Yeah, yeah. nice to oh. see.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, but uh, an excellent choice. I'm glad he you made your list. It didn't quite make my list as the Batman.
1: Sure, yes. fair enough. I get uh, that. I knew it. You know, like I said, he has so many good performances. It was yeah. it was hard to narrow it down. But I I felt like for me, I felt like it was important to include this one.
0: Yeah. Well, my my number five is from uh, 1988. 1988 Beetlejuice, another Tim Burton film, mm-hmm. where he basically. He's a supporting character in his own film because he only has a tiny. He's only in it for about something silly like 15, 20 minutes. Right, right. But I just, I just like the bit where you, you, I enjoyed the film as a whole. Uh, but I just like when Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice does appear. He's just like I said. This this energy has, but it's it was a different kind of energy from like previous roles. Still a bit. He played uh, you know slightly crazy characters before, but this one was just wild and over the top, but totally in keeping with the character. And if you wouldn't. You, you, even now, you're watching it, you go on, you, you know it's Michael Keaton, but you still don't really recognise him as Michael Keaton because of the makeup and everything and, and the way he acts and things. But it's just, it's just crazy. There's so much energy, so much. There's, well, there's just so much in it, and it's just. It's, every time you watch it, there's still little bits and things he does. There's so many. It's very physical. It's very different. There's different voices. There's. It's just. It's nonstop. It's. It's very much a cartoon character, I suppose. But it's just over, the, over the top. Or Michael Keaton's performance just ties it all together and just makes it all work. And I've, I, I always like it, and I'm always, oh, whenever I watch the film. part of me, just wants to like skip to the bits when people just peers, but uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that's uh, that's my number five.
1: Yeah, it's a great pick, and I and I didn't make my list, but I, I totally get why you put it on there, and I think it's interesting. Like it's like you said. Like Your brain can reconcile the fact that you know it's Michael Keaton, but when you watch it, all you see is Beetlejuice. It's one of the roles I think he most completely disappears into, and I think partially because of the makeup. Of course, that helps, but it's just so manic and energetic that even though you know it's him, you forget it's him because you just think of him as Beetlejuice. Yeah, totally, totally. Very good pick. All right, well, my number four is probably the the most obscure film on my list. It's from 1993. It's called My Life, uh, and it stars... Um, well obviously Michael Keaton but it also stars Nicole Kidman and he plays uh, Bob Jones who's basically just like your regular everyday husband dad family man uh, who discovers he has terminal cancer and so he kind of starts to put together like a retrospective of his life to leave for his kids and there's so basically we kind of view his life through like camcorder footage and stuff like that it's not like a found footage movie but there are a lot of like flashbacks and things like that and uh, it wasn't a film that got a lot of love at the box officer from critics but I, I remember really like liking it it's it's a very uh, it is a tearjerker but it also has a lot of humor in it which you would expect from from michael keaton but i think it's one of his most you know kind of nuanced roles where he gets to sort of do the like charming funny you know michael Keatony dad type of thing but he also has yeah. to have some really introspective moments and there's some sad moments and um i just i think it's a really good film and i i think his performance in it is is overlooked i would forgot about that film
0: is that the one with is it get like a roller coaster thing in that
1: i believe there is yes it's been a while since i've seen it but yeah i believe yeah. that's a scene with them on the roller coaster yeah yeah I've,
0: yeah wow yeah it's right it's kind
1: of, of it. a forgotten film right yeah, you yeah, know yeah. but um yeah. but i always thought it was a, a good film and, and again since we're you know we always base these lists on their performances i think it's a terrific performance by him so that's my number four it's called my life it's worth checking out Excellent. if you don't mind uh having the kleenex nearby
0: okay good stuff okay my uh my number four is a film from 2015 and it is Spotlight, yes. uh, which was directed by Tom McCarthy, had a huge cast, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel McAdams, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci, Billy Crudup. Uh, but it's all about the uh, the investigative journalists looking into uh, Catholic priests and things like that. But it's uh, Michael Keaton plays Walter Robbie Robertson, who is the editor of the newspaper Spotlight team, who are uh, basically a group of journalists who sp- take months researching their stories, looking into things before publishing it, but uh, he he does a great, he's a, he's great in this. It's very much an ensemble cast because everybody sort of has their own chance to shine, but, uh, he's sort of like the glue, which holds everybody together, making sure everybody's on the same page again, but it's a, it's, it's a more serious role. He does, he has a lot of serious roles. It's a bit more of a quieter role as well, but. He does it all with a great diploma and a quiet intensity and a seriousness and a level headedness which is needed dealing with such a sensitive subject and and the people involved who were interviewed and things like that. But uh, it's great how he all, you know he deals with his with his reporters and also as other editors and the the law and things like that. But it's just it was a great performance in a film jam packed to great performances. But his is uh, his again once again Michael Keaton. He draws your attention every scene he's in. And that's my
1: number four. Very good choice. I like it. I like it so much. In fact, it's my number 3. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah, Spotlight is my number 3 uh yeah. for all the reasons that you just said. Uh this was one of the films he was I believe robbed for uh, for an Oscar for my I think he got nominated and didn't win for this one. Yeah. But Spotlight at least won for best picture that year, which I thought was well deserved. It's an excellent film. But like you said, I think what makes his performance stand out for me is that he is much more kind of quiet and subdued. He's the voice of reason, which is yeah, not yeah. necessarily a role he usually takes on. I'm a sucker for journalism movies. As we all know, I've mentioned several times on the show before, so I really do like this film a lot. But he just brings a nice gravitas to the role, but also that sort of quiet leader. You know, there's 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 never a doubt that he is sort of the... I don't know if it's father figure to this group of reporters, but definitely the kind of the glue that binds them all together. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a terrific performance and and a very good movie. Not as well seen, even though it was the Oscar winner. So if you haven't seen it, I do recommend you check it out. It's very, very good. Yeah, it is. It's an excellent uh, piece of work, that one. Okay,
0: my number three is a film in which he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor, but he didn't get it. But he did get a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor, uh, Critics' Choice Award. Uh, But it was uh, from 2014, and it is Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Uh, this one is it's this is the one where it's basically pretty much him on the whole time he's a he's playing a, a, an actor who used to have to be like a superhero Birdman, uh but then it, he's known for that but he's decided to put in this play and we follow him around over the a day I think it is but we're just following day and night we're following Yeah, it's him like a, it's something like yeah. That. yeah it's a short period of time. yeah we're following him around as he's trying to get the film to uh, get this play get the rehearsals going get people involved dealing with his daughter uh Old relationships and things like this, and also you're not sure whether he's well, he's hearing his character Birdman talking to him. Is he crazy? Is he actually got powers? Is he doing things? Is it weird? But it's Michael Keaton's in the whole time, and it's kind of like this character is it's kind of like a mashup of lots of his other characters, and that it's it's it goes from being very serious to very quiet to being very over the top, uh, to sad, happy, manic, all, all so many things, and he's on camera the whole time. Uh, I really like the film. I know some people didn't. Uh, it's a great piece of the way it's all shot. So it looks like one one long scene. As also, it's a great technical achievement. But Michael Keaton's in it all the way through, and he does. He just he's amazing in it. It just he he just carries you along on the journey. He gets so much across. We learn so much about the character with just often with just the way he looks and the way he
1: reacts to what's going on around him. But uh, that's my number three. Very good choice. I see you're going to keep stealing my thunder today because my number two is also Birdman. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and I mentioned earlier that I thought Batman was a brave choice for him, and I think this is an equally brave choice because a lot of actors who had had become so famous for playing a superhero like Batman – to take on a movie like this where he you know, was famous for being Birdman, which is clearly yeah. an homage to Batman, if you will, and then to kind of show his career after that. It's a little bit close to home for some people. And a lot of actors, I think, would have balked at that. Uh, but Keaton is brave, and he doesn't let that kind of thing stop him. And I think he saw this as a challenge, and he took it on. And it's, it's fantastic. Like you said, the film is shot to basically look like it's one continuous take. And I know that it wasn't filmed in one take but I, from what yeah. I understand most of the scenes were filmed in like 15 to 20 minute blocks which is really yeah
0: yeah big long takes yeah, for yeah. as
1: much dialogue as he had and as for much as he's on camera it's really impressive and I do think it's like you said it has all those elements in it he's you know he goes through every range of emotions and it's it's a really impressive performance and this was the one that I was I was more upset about him losing the Oscar oh for. yeah yeah
0: I mean he was totally fearless in the role he should have he, he, he fully deserved it yeah
1: it? and I know it went to Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 years slave whom I'm also a big fan of yeah but I, I think that I think that Birdman's performance is a, a little gets just a little bit of the edge but yeah, yeah. you know again it was that's it was always a tough call to make but I do really love him in this role I like the movie I have some issues with it but overall I like it a lot but it's really him that I love about this film.
0: Yeah, excellent. So we're good to see we're all on the same page. But uh, yes. okay,
1: Let's see if your number two is my number one. We'll just keep this trend going.
0: Okay, let's see. My number two, uh, this one's from uh, 2017, a recent one. It's actually a Marvel movie. It's Spider-Man Homecoming.
1: It is not my number one.
0: It plays Agent Tombs, a.k.a. the Vulture. But uh, I quite like this. It's uh, Marvel have always been good at picking the cast, and when it was announced he was going to be the Vulture, I was sort of going, well, what? He's not. It should be like a really old man, blah, 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 because I have had the comics. Blah, 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 blah. Wait, Phil, are you, you saying know? that
1: you reacted poorly to news of comic book character casting? Yeah,
0: I was going. How how can he play <laughs> the vulture? That doesn't make any sense. He's not going to be any good. But it was <laughs> it was good seeing. First of all, it was good seeing another comic book movie. Also, good seeing him play a villain, and he does it very well. Because Marvel often gets criticism uh, towards the villains because they're often quite one dimensional, too. Just not. They don't have much. Go- often they're just evil because they want the MacGuffin and do this. But I I really like this one because he was basically playing this guy who's told, you know, he's clearing up the mess left after the Battle of New York and the Avengers but then he's told he, him and his crew have to get off because uh, Tony Stark's damage control is taken over, government uh, thing is going to clean everything up and he's going, well I spent all this money, what about the people who work for me? And he's sort of, he's just, he's like an everyman who's just trying, he, first of all he starts off, he wants he wants the best for him, his family and his, the people who work for him and he feels like he's being unjustly treated and so he does whatever anybody in that situation will do. He'll use some of the alien tech that they have, and then get one of his friends to turn it into like a flying suit. <laughs> and he'll go and start stealing other stuff to and start selling these weapons on the black market. But you can, it's it's one of the the few cases where you can. He's got like a clear motivation, and you can see it, and you can partly understand why he's doing it. And he's using what he had available to him at that point to try and make more money. And he he does just want to make initially. He just wants to make money. To keep his family secure and everything but as time goes on sort of he gets a bit the power well you know power corrupts doesn't it and right and with great power comes great responsibility i believe wants <laughs> I to. Think i've
1: heard that somewhere
0: but uh he, he does this he carries it on and it's just because he, he, you can't help but like him and but then he does terrible things and it's got it's got one of the one of my favorites probably one of the best scenes in any of the marvel movies is i just love that uh, spoilers ahead it's when uh peter parker is uh, going to pick up his uh, the girl for the date and then he knocks on the door the door opens and it's uh michael keaton who's the father of the the girl he's taking on the date but uh, he know peter parker knows that it's the vulture but the vulture doesn't know it's he's spider-man and it's just this but then as it goes on this conversation it's just it's so good it's so so it could be like in a in, in a big thriller this kind of scene where michael keaton's asking questions and it's going on he starts putting it together that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and is the one who's been causing all the trouble in this thing, and I just love it. And the way they use the uh, the light of the traffic lights to really emphasize the scene, and it's just Michael Keaton is menacing and dangerous, and all he's doing is driving the two of them to uh, to prom. It's just it's just a masterclass in their performance. It's so subdued but so intense. It's just brilliant,
1: and uh, that's my number two. I don't I don't want to pick on you, Phil, but I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to homecoming.
0: Oh yes, yeah,
1: not prom. Well, that's, I'm not sure about the, the whole, the yeah, story. okay, you know, I'm English. <laughs> Just kidding. I couldn't, uh, yeah, I yeah, couldn't yeah. resist. Uh, yeah. No, I agree with everything you said, and there's a reason that's my favorite Spider-Man movie, and largely it's due to Michael Keaton. And one of the things that I, I kind of dialed in on when you were talking was when you said he's one of their best villains, and what I love is that he's the least villain villain they've had, and he's yeah, still the yeah, best yeah. villain, because he's not, he doesn't see himself as a villain. and 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 by some measure he's not at first you know he's just trying to get by and protect his family yeah. and then like you said he gets you know kind of corrupted but throughout the whole film he's never out to you know conquer the world or kill innocent people or do anything he's just trying to make some money you know Yeah. Uh, and the way he goes about it isn't necessarily the right way but his motivations are understandable the whole situation he's just such a, and his performance and that scene that you were talking about is I mean the scene in the car with the two of them is just phenomenal
0: and, and initially he didn't want to do that last big score like like most criminals do he was right. always going no no we'll leave it this is enough but because Spider. Man kept getting in the way and yep. losing the money. That's he kept getting pushed and pushed. So basically Spider-Man's the bad guy. And <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson's we
1: might all along. Right. Uh, yeah, I wanted to put this one on my list, actually. I really did, because I do I do love this performance and I love this movie, but it just kind of it would have, you know kind of got edged out. It could have easily replaced Almost anything on this list, though, because it is such a great performance. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, my number one, then, is from 2016, and it is The Founder. Mm. I want to stop you there, because
0: it's also my number one. Is it your number one? Yeah, okay, I wasn't yeah, sure yeah. if you'd seen wow, the film oh, or cool, not. yeah.
1: yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, then I think then you clearly know why I picked it. But it, for those of you who are not familiar with this movie, because it did not get a lot of play, uh, it is uh, he plays Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, and it is the story of how he... Got this chain and 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 maybe didn't get it in a way that he didn't create McDonald's. He didn't start Screwed it. Screwed him he over. Just, I think he, right. <laughs> he franchised it. He created the franchise, and it's the story of this this guy who is basically a, a failure in life who lucks into this thing and basically starts to kind of swindle people. So that, because it becomes more and more successful and. His performance is just a tour de force. It is just amazing. He he it's it's a really great film, but every single second he is on screen, you cannot take your eyes off of him. It's one yeah, of the most yeah. magnetic performances I've ever seen in my life. And he's just uh, he's a fast talker, and he, but he has real moments as well. And he's, you know, he's he's unscrupulous at times, but he's also an idea man and he's frustrated and there's just so many emotions going on. But it's just a whirlwind of energy, this performance. And I, I love this movie and I love this performance. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad that it didn't do better and I'm sad that it got ignored uh, when award time came around because I think it's really one of his greatest performances and really one of the great performances of the past decade. Yeah,
0: I t- oh, totally agree with everything you said. I think one of the reasons why it didn't do that well is because the whole McDonald's thing. People just saw McDonald's and went, "Oh, what? What? Okay." Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, but it's just, it's it's just the, the character he plays. You know, it's a real person he played. It was, uh, but it's like, yeah, you, you you like him, you hate him. Yes. Uh It's just so, so many different emotions, and I like the way it starts off as well. You know, as you say, he was a failure. He's, but he starts, he he starts tracking down why there's so many milkshake mixers going to this place, and it's almost a little bit like starts off almost like a little bit of a detective kind of thing going on. And right. 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 Kind of yeah. But it's. Uh, it's a great film itself. The whole film's really good with a great support and cast. But yeah, it's just he's just you're following him through and you're going, Well, he's not gonna really do that. And you're going, Oh no. <laughs> oh, but then you go you can see why he does it as well. And yep. then but you're still going, but don't do it. Yeah. Work it out with them. Right. You know, let them have the royalties, but don't oh no no. no, no, It's only one percent. Uh about all that stuff going on. But yeah, it's just he's amazing. He's playing a good guy, a bad guy, and just but at the end of the day, just a guy just trying to make the best he can. And yep. but ends up going a bit too far. Yep, yep. Yeah, but uh,
1: that's yeah. That's our number one. Oh, very good. I'm glad we had the same pick for that. Uh, Obviously, a lot of overlap on that list, but I think it's, you know, when you've got an actor as good as Michael Keaton, and even though he's had so many great roles, he's just, especially, like, like I said earlier, in his later career, he's had so many that are just so so good i mean so many you know those like birdman and spotlight and the founder like they stand out so much because they're just really really some of the best performances i've seen in, in the last decade or so so you know yeah. i think it's understandable why there was some overlap there
0: oh definitely definitely but there's a it was good looking back over the list of films he'd been in oh for
1: sure as for well there's sure. quite a
0: there's quite a few you want to go back to and uh, and check out
1: yes yes indeed all right, very good. So that wraps up our 100 Stars of Hollywood and 100 episodes and that is going to start to wrap up our episode. So uh, before we go though, Phil, let's tell people what they can expect from us next week.
0: Okay then. So next time will probably be a mini episode but for our next episode a uh, regular episode we'll be going after the ending of lethal weapon 4
1: which is really like a kind of after the ending of the of the lethal weapon franchise if you will yeah
0: as a whole seeing what they're up to now right or after, after that we'll also be doing 1989's leviathan which is the one which stars peter weller ernie hudson and it's set underwater with monsters and things
1: always love a bit of underwater monster stuff yes and it might hold a special place in my heart but yes excellent <laughs> i, I want to try and track that down see if i can get that watched again before yeah, record.
0: yeah, And we'll also be doing our top five favorite performances of Halle Berry.
1: Yeah, that should be fun. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's, uh, that's going to be our next regular episode.
1: All right, sounds good. Well, there you go. So it was good to be back. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, and we'll be back again next week. So until that time, we thank you as always. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Yeah, I got a drink that. If you hear me taking I have my drink in a noisy container, so I'll probably only drink when you're talking. So if you hear me making metaly noises, try not to get distracted. <laughs> it's
0: not the robot overising uprising.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean it could it could be that. Maybe I maybe this is my trying to send you a signal and there's actually robots all around me who are like <laughs> don't tell phil the truth or we will decimate you.
0: Oh that would be crazy. Mike. imagine if there's robots here as well surrounding me with their lasers <laughs> pointed at me but I couldn't say it. I'm not saying.
1: Right, that we'd I'm have to like talk it. in some kind of, you know, yeah. some kind of code that they wouldn't understand.
0: Yeah, you know, because it's like those tick boxes but but imagine if there were there was at least 12 robots uh, all around. <laughs> right.
1: Right, yeah. that would be weird. That would be doubly weird if I also had exactly twelve robots surrounding me. Imagine
0: if I was to say, "Send help as soon as you can." Oh my God! Please. <laughs> oh, they probably,
1: they probably wouldn't like that. No. So it's a good thing ow, that ow, you ow, didn't no, say that. Be fine, it would be fine. But
0: there's none. There's none around. None around.
1: Luckily, there's no robots Luckily, here. Luckily, yeah, so. no robots at all. We're fine.
0: Was that okay? Is that what you wanted me to say? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're okay to go. They're saying it's okay to carry on.
1: <laughs> Genuinely, yeah. That was Jenny and continually, and I became up with genuinely, <laughs> which is kind of cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets hired, and his work helps the kids, and Mar- Okay. He gets hired as the, the housekeeper, and his work helps keep the kids and Miranda growing. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: We're back, baby. That's right. <laughs> but that's uh, that's Mrs. Dowfire.
1: Very good. Uh, I got to do my long term still.
0: Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, but Phil. Uh, Just yeah.
1: hogging the show. You're like, yeah, I did my long-term, so we we're done. don't need the long-term, Mike. <laughs> we um, don't need anything else. Mine. <laughs> right. You can't top that, so I guess we're done. <laughs> uh Hey, I realized something, by the way. You know, um we usually, at this time of year, do a Halloween episode, oh, and yeah. we for- we forgot. And I realized it the other day when I was in Baltimore, and I was like, ah, eh, we're not going to be able to have time to fix it all, change it all now. So,
0: yeah.
1: We'll just stick with it, and we'll skip Halloween this Ooh,
0: year. Ooh, scary Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs>
1: there you go. See, we've fulfilled our Halloween duty. We did
0: a John Carpenter film. We just picked the wrong John Carpenter that's film.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. That's awesome. We get the master of horror, and yeah. then we pick his like one non-horror film. So that's Halloween episode, <laughs> John Carpenter, Carpenter with
0: Starman.
1: <laughs> Hey! Don't let anybody say we don't bring our A game to this show every single yeah, plan week. Yeah, planning
0: ahead. We take everything into account.
1: <laughs> That's right. We never, never miss on an obvious thing at all.
0: <laughs> no. God damn it.
1: <laughs> and we're we'll also doing our top, <laughs> like literally, like the last line of the show. <sighs> and it's it's the robots. <laughs> exactly. Oh, is that? when your robot overlord sending you a That's- signal. Somebody's answered it. One of the robots answered it. All is fine here. Do not send help. Click.
0: We're fine here. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly.